who God calls us to lift up in prayer as a way of showing our love and concern for them and as an acknowledgement of our dependence on God. And I'll, I'll mention a few requests and maybe even mention a few people specifically, and, and I'll give you a few moments to pray for others who come in mind in silence after that. So let's pray. Father, you've placed us in this uh, community of believers to worship you together, to encourage one another, to remind each other of your love and your mercy and your grace, and to lift each other up in prayer. And we come to you this morning in prayer, Father, not as strangers pleading to an unknown deity, but as adopted sons and daughters with concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ask that you would hear our prayers on their behalf so that we would give you thanks and give you praise and worship as you answer for and care for uh, your people. So Lord, we pray for those who are experiencing or recovering from illness, especially for Pastor John as he recovers from surgery and for the pickets and others currently battling or recovering from COVID. We pray for Jace Phillips and for Steve Calhoun as they recover from prolonged illness. And we pray that you would give them all peace and comfort in their times of physical discomfort and discouragement. Remind them of your faithful presence in this difficult time and please touch them with your healing hand. And we also pray for others that you bring to mind this morning. Father, we pray for those who have lost loved ones who are dealing with grief dealing with the aftermath of death. Lord, help us to grieve with them and mourn with them and show compassion during this difficult time and help us to encourage and serve them in their time of sorrow. Father, we pray for marriages and families and others in the church that may be in relational conflicts, that they would be reminded of the reconciliation that we all have in Christ, of the grace and the mercy that we received uh, undeservedly. We pray for people to humble themselves before one another for the sake of unity and for the witness of the body. So Lord, help us pray for those who are struggling in relationships. Lord, we pray for those facing financial trials who fear meeting their physical needs, whose financial condition may seem hopeless. Father, remind them that you are the great provider and that you've promised to provide as we ask in your name. 
Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with emotional or spiritual challenges, especially in these uncertain times and in these dark days of winter. We pray that you would remind them of the hope that we all have in this life in Christ and that you'll never leave or forsake those whom you've called as your children. And that those who are struggling, Lord, would lean on you in these darkest times. Lord, we pray for us all who call ourselves followers of Christ, that you'd soften our hearts to the needs of others in our church, our brothers and sisters, brought together as one, one body, through one spirit, by one Lord, with one hope. We pray for that unity, and that unity would be evident to the world around us as we witness to the love of Christ We pray especially in these difficult times of restrictions and political unrest and chaos that we would point to you and be ambassadors of this beautiful gospel and that we would be practitioners in word and deed of the hope that we have even in uncertain times. And Father, now we pray for uh, the reading in preaching of your word, we, we pray that as Jared reads this morning, um, that we would have a clearer picture of Christ's love as the great shepherd of your sheep. And as Dennis preaches this morning, we pray that you would bless his study and preparation, and we pray that your message through him would open our eyes to see the glory of Christ, and that we would be moved to worship and praise him for the sake of your holy name. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Sun Valley. I will be reading from uh, two portions of scripture this morning, so I'll give you a moment to turn to Psalm 95. And uh, if you want to mark John 10 as well. Psalm 95, 1 through 7, and then I will be reading from John 10. 11 through 15 and verses 27 through 29. <clears throat> o come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us mix of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, 
sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I am representing Pastor John today as he's recovering from a surgery and he's doing very, very well, but his voice is not up to doing the preaching ministry, so I am filling in in the preaching office of the church today. (laughs) And I am glad to bring to you a uh, sermon that I call Jubilate, which is a sermon on Psalm 100. Um, I didn't know much about the Psalms as a younger Christian, and nobody ever pointed out to me the central uh, value of the worship of God via the use of the Psalms for prayer. As I've gotten older, I have centered my worship practices in the Psalms, and so this is one of my favorites among many. The theme of my sermon today is to help us to grow in our knowledge of worshiping God and giving praise to him, to be better informed from God's own hymn book, the book of Psalms, and specifically Psalm 100 today. The key verse of this psalm is verse 3, and it says, Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us, and we are his, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I asked Jeremy to have us sing, All People That On Earth Do Dwell. I don't know if you've picked up this yet. This is Psalm 100 put into English rhyme and meter and given a tune so that it can be sung. And this is how this song says it. Know that the Lord is God indeed, He formed us all without our aid. We are the flock he surely feeds, the sheep who by his hand were made. Well, I'm going to start out by talking a little bit about worship, just by way of a reminder. What is it? It is the central activity of Sun Valley Church, that is, the Sunday morning worship service. We are intent about making this the main focus of our ministry. So what is worship and why is it called a service? Every human being worships something. It might be themselves, it might be something else. It is implanted within our psyche as human beings to worship. All human beings 
give homage, reverence, and high respect to something. The word in our English language for worship comes from an old English word which was worthship. Worship is to give worship, to give worth to something that has high value to us. In one of God's earliest revelations to his people, that is in the uh, Ten Commandments, this is what he said. This is Isaiah 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He says to his people, don't worship false gods. Now, we mustn't confuse our own ideas from our own humanness about jealousy with what that means when it's talking about God, when it says that God is jealous. God doesn't have jealousy like we do. But God is committed to maintaining the integrity of his own attributes. That is that which makes him God. He must do that. And so when it talks about God being jealous, it's talking about God protecting his own attributes, who he essentially is. That's pretty critical for us in order for us to know him. So in this verse, worship is expressed in two actions, to bow down and to serve. Hear what the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith says about worship. I want you to listen especially carefully in the actions that are defined as worship. The light of nature demonstrates that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all. You know, by the way, the Bible never makes any effort to prove the existence of God. It states that he is. He is just and good and does good, good to everyone. Therefore, he should be feared, loved, praised, called on, trusted in, and served with all the heart and with all the soul and with all the strength. To bow down is a manifestation of the highest form of worship. And our word, of, our word adoration, and by the way, when you think of the prayer acronym ACTS, the A is adoration, that's the beginning of worship. Our word for adoration comes from the Latin word, which means to bow down. Here's the definition of adoration. Adoration is to contemplate God's divine attributes and worthily acknowledge him with words and acts of praise, with loving reverence for his person. I'm going to read that again. Adoration is to contemplate God's divine attributes and worthily acknowledge him with words and acts of praise, with loving reverence for his person. Paul says it this way in Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The word for service in this verse in the original means 
do acts of veneration to God. Our reasonable service is to present ourselves as holy offerings to God. We gather together on Sunday morning as individual living liturgies to come together and worship God. The word to serve in that verse means liturgy. Well, how do we know how to worship? The Bible itself informs our worship. We know that. J.I. Packer said the following, Christianity is the true worship and service of the true God, humankind's creator and redeemer. It is a religion that rests on revelation. Nobody would know the truth about God or be able to relate to him in a personal way had not God first acted to make himself known. But God has so acted. The 66 books of the Bible, 39 written before Christ came, and 27 after, are together the record, interpretation, expression, and embodiment of his self-disclosure. God and godliness are the Bible's uniting themes. Martin Luther said it this way, God has chosen to reveal himself in a book. Our desire at Sun Valley Church is to worship by the book. Well, the Psalms, how do they fit in other than they are scripture? The Psalms are the canonical hymn book, the canonical prayer book, that is, the prayer book that God has authorized himself in the Bible. The full collection of the Psalms is called the Psalter. When you hear that term, the Psalter, that's speaking of the whole collection of 150 Psalms. Here's some comments from a Bible commentator from the 1800s named J.J. Stuart Perrone, and he's talking about how believers have used the Psalms in worship through the years. With its words, that is the Psalter, rather than with their own, they have come before God. In these, they have uttered their desires, their fears, their confessions, their aspirations, their sorrows, their joys, their, their thanksgiving. By them, devotion has been kindled and their hearts comforted. The Psalter has been in the truest sense the prayer book of both Jews and Christians. Well, the Psalter is also the canonical, that is, authorized by God, hymn book. Throughout Jewish, Christian, and Christian history, the Psalms have been chanted and sung. Many Psalms actually have instructions as to how they're to be sung. The tunes that are listed have been lost but there are instructions in them. Although we often don't sing the Psalms here, rather we recite them, may I ask that you consider in the recitation of the Psalms the following explanation of how it should be done. This is listing the Psalm as a hymn. Theologically, the hymn is a liturgical and unrestrained yielding of self and community to God. It is an act of self-abandonment that embodies the first answer 
of the Westminster Catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The hymn is the way in which the faith community does its glorifying and enjoying that specific destiny as a foretaste of what is promised. When we sing, our attitude ought to be yielding ourselves to God and abandoning ourselves to the worship of him and what he should receive from us. Well, now some understanding of the psalm, some ground rules. First of all, the Bible is actually literature, and it contains different types of literature. We call this genre. And the psalms are a type of literature, which is Hebrew poetry. Now, unlike our English poetry, which is based on rhyme and meter, that's rhyming words and rhythm, Hebrew poetry is different. It's based on parallel statements. And these statements may be saying the same thing in different ways. They may be contrasting statements saying different things, or they may be statements that build to a point, an apex. But they're parallel statements. The parallel statements, usually two to four lines, are put together into what are called strophes. And all you have to remember is a strophe is like a real small paragraph. And these little paragraphs or strophes are collected into a little larger section called a stanza. And that's like a chapter. So we read, we read the Psalms a little differently than we would read the epistles of Paul, but there are some similarities. Many of the Psalms have a central theme as a point of apex, and it's good often to look for that. Today, our psalm does this. Well, the psalm itself resides in a section of psalms called the homage psalms, and this is Psalm 93 through 100. These are psalms that are focused specifically on giving high regard to God. And within this section, there's a smaller section of worship psalms, 95 through 100, that are praise psalms, and ver uh, Psalm 95, part of which you heard read earlier, Psalm 100, our psalm today, are the two psalms that bracket this section of praise psalms 96 through 99. Well, let's get into Psalm 100. First of all, the genre of the psalm is a praise psalm. So what is a praise psalm? Here's a definition of that. It characterizes a public as distinct from personal or intimate song that is sung with abandonment in praise to God for the character of God's person or the nature of God's creating and liberating actions. For the character of God's person or the nature of God's creating and liber liberating actions. In other words, a praise psalm is focused on God himself. I'm gonna start now by reading the whole psalm and then we're gonna break it down part by part. Psalm 100, Jubilate, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth, 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Well, the title I used, Jubilate, isn't in your English Bible, most likely. It's certainly not in the ESV. Where did I get it? The Bible that was used in the Western Church for hundreds of years prior to translations made into local languages like English was the Latin Vulgate. And in that original Latin version, quite often the first word or the first couple of words are taken and used as the title for the psalm. That's where Jubilate comes from. It comes from the Latin version of Psalm 100. And it means, oh, be joyful. It's a great title. So then the superscription, the title that we have in English says, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. Commentator Spence Jones said, God is praised from the beginning to the end, and all the earth is called upon to join in blessing and thanking him. It has been suggested that it was probably written to be chanted by a festive procession as it approached and entered the temple. The writer gives instructions on how to praise God. A psalm is a sacred song set to music. The imperatives rejoice and sing are listed 200 times in the Psalter itself. The sacrifice of praise of God shall never cease. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, Hebrews 13, 15. Well, I mentioned earlier that often some of the Psalms have a certain verse that is an apex to the Psalm, and that is true of this Psalm. There is a symmetry in this Psalm that is similar in idea to throwing a rock into a pond and watching the ripples flow out from the center. The center of that point is the verse, know that the Lord, he is God. And in beautiful symmetry, the ripples start on one side of the pond, shout to I am, that is God himself, serve him, come before him, know him, and then on the other side flowing out, enter his courts, give him grateful praise, bless his name. Thus follows man's relationship with God. This psalm has two stanzas, and uh, that's how we'll break it down now. The first stanza, verses one through three, is serve the Lord our God, and it starts with a call to praise. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. 
verse, uh, Psalm 98.6 helps illumine this verse. It says, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Well, what is this joyful noise? I don't know if you've heard this before, but I've heard this many times through my Christian life. When someone sings especially poorly, they may say, well, the Bible says, make a joyful noise. That's not quite the interpretation here. It is true that God is more concerned about our heart attitude than how we go about singing but we ought to bring our best to him when we come to sing. At the same time, this doesn't mean that we somehow have to create a party atmosphere. Rather, what this means is the joyful noise is not the special contribution of the tone deaf, still less of the convivial, but the equivalent in worship to the homage, shout, or fanfare to a king. In other words, a joyful noise is a victory shout for Jesus, who is our king. Now, we all emote differently. A victory shout from me may look very different from you. But the point is, when we come to worship and we're praising God, we need to remember that's the reality of the God we praise. God is looking down from the heavens, and he isn't the least bit bothered by all the stuff that is upsetting this world. In fact, it says that he looks at the leaders of this world, and he laughs at them. He knows what he's doing, and we need to be reminded that we know the end of the story and come into his worship accordingly. Our happy God should be worshiped by a happy people. A cheerful spirit is in keeping with his nature, his acts, and the gratitude which we should cherish for his mercy, says C.H. Spurgeon. In right worship, we call all people of the earth to join in with us in the worship of our God. This was true for ancient Israel this is now true for the church universal, the body of Christ. <clears throat> the second part of this call to worship says, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. <clears throat> serve the Lord fundamentally means to be in subjection to or in a subordinate position to him as master. Come before him, as a liturgical term, means substantially enter the sanctuary. To worship God rightly, we must understand who he is and what he wishes for us to do. Our imagination, our creativity is not the focus of worship. God himself is the focus of worship, and we want to worship him as he would want us to worship. Jesus said to the woman at the well, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But an hour is coming, and now is, 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. In the economy of the New Testament, the sanctuary of God is not a building in a certain locale, but God's people gathered together for the worship of our God. We come here Sunday by Sunday as the sanctuary, God's gathered people and filled by his Holy Spirit for the purpose of his worship. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in a time of need. Hebrews 4, 16. Well, the cause or content of praise is this central verse in the psalm, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God is the supreme, self-existent, spiritual being that made all of us. He made everything. As such, he made each one of us to be his possession. As a group of people, we are under the care and guidance for all that we need to live and thrive like sheep in a pasture. The confession, know that the Lord, he is God, dethrones and nullifies any other claimant in our lives to our devotion. Psalm 95, 7, in like fashion says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. The psalmist inverts a logical order here. He says, people, pasture, sheep, hand. Instead of pasture, sheep, people, hand. John Calvin said about this something that I think is very important. He said his people are here spoken of accordingly as the people of his pastures, whom he watches over with peculiar care and loads with blessings of every kind. Called to live under the faithful guardianship of God and to the enjoyment of every species of blessings, it is as if he intended to intimate the feeding of his people, doing it himself, and not employing shepherds. Knowing God entails knowing about God in what I call the creature-creator distinction. God is transcendent. That means he is outside of the created universe. He dwells in his own eternity. He's out time, outside time and space, and as such, he is not affected by all the things that occur in the created order where we're a part of it. And yet, at the same time, God is eminent by his Holy Spirit. He is present in every place, in every moment. In fact, God is more present to us than our own heartbeat. Isaiah 57.15 gives us a wonderful promise. 
For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. What a promise. God says, if you will just get low enough in my presence, you will have my presence in your personal life. What a promise. Well, the second stanza, the second half of the psalm, the Lord's love and faithfulness are everlasting, verses 4 and 5. Another call to praise, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Inner corporate worship with thankful hearts and a plan to honor God and praise God for his being, for whom he is. This is not going to end in the here and now. From the book of Revelation, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Well, the cause for our praise in this psalm is verse 5. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Again, adoration of God is based on God's inherent worth. Psalm 107 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. To confess that God is good is a matter of faith. In our human experience, a lot of things that enter our lives are not seen by us as good, are they? Yet in faith, we look to God's steadfast love nonetheless. Steadfast love is a Hebrew word called hesed, and it's a special kind of love. It entails a relationship <clears throat> between two parties, one of whom meets the needs of the other for deliverance or protection. The stronger party does so out of an intrinsic motivation of his nature that is characterized by loyalty, fidelity, love, and kindness not out of an extrinsic, self-serving motivation. God's love is, by nature, loyal, faithful, and kind. He remains faithful to us in his steadfast love when we are not steadfast in our love to him. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. God's covenant-keeping love is showered upon us in Christ. 
what is prefigured in the Old Testament is made real to us every week here in our gospel-centered worship. God has purposed in Christ with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. The end point of our worship is Christ is all in all. Now we come to the part of the sermon that I call the so what. So what do we do about this? What can we take away from this today that would help us in our lives as Christians? The first one is there are seven imperatives in this psalm. Seven commands of actions that we should do in our worship. Here they are. The first one, make a joyful noise, a victory shout. The second, serve the Lord, yield yourself wholly to him. The third, come into his presence or entered. Bring your whole self to worship when you come. The fourth, know the Lord, Put supreme value on this incredible opportunity to know God. Five, enter his gates. Prioritize corporate worship. Six, give thanks. Be a grateful person. Seven, bless his name. Remember, he blesses us first. Maybe you're like me. And at times, your affect is a bit lacking when it comes to praise. I struggle with this a lot. I wrote this sermon for me as much as anybody else. Here's a quote from St. Augustine that I found very helpful. He said, Never think that you will weary of praising him. Your songs of praise are like eating the more you praise, the more strength you acquire, and the more delightful he becomes whom you are praising. Well, now our present circumstances, and back to Psalm 95.7, the sheep of his hand. Calvin's comments again. It is if... God intimated how intent he was upon feeding his people, doing it himself, not employing hired shepherds. Yet there is one shepherd that God trusts with the cares of his people, isn't there? What Hebrew believers knew only in the general circumstances of the ordinances of the temple worship, we know personally through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. In the Gospel of John, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, 
and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Are you in God's fold today being fed by him? Do you know the Good Shepherd? If you're not certain of the answer to that question, please don't leave today without asking someone who will invite you into the fold. What if you're struggling today following the Good Shepherd, feeling discouraged and not so praiseworthy? Please let me pray for you now as I close this sermon. Pray with me. Most merciful God, in you we live and move and have our being. We are your people, the sheep of your hand, yet at times we fail to follow close after our good shepherd Jesus. We err and stray like lost sheep. Yet the Good Shepherd seeks and saves the lost. By your Holy Spirit, bring the encouragement and joy of worshiping you into our hearts in such a manner that we will walk close to Christ and please him in every respect. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.